All right, well, this is an important topic that uh, the church really doesn't talk that much about. And so what, I, what I'm excited about is to, to begin the conversation. And I think this is just merely beginning the conversation because we need to begin to normalize the conversation regarding that of lust and intimacy. So let's look at what Jesus said about this topic, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, as you think about this term, sex, it is uncomfortable to talk about. But it's very important for us to talk about. Why? Because Jesus talked about it here. But also throughout all of the Bible, there are stories and examples and scriptures that talk about this topic of sex. But as you look at it in our world, it's talked about every single day. We are in a sex-saturated world and society. And there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to lust and when it comes to sex. Let me just name a few. One misconception about sex is, uh, it's okay to lust. After all, every man struggles with it. That's a lie. That's a myth. The world also would say, a little porn won't hurt anyone. It will even spice up your romance. That's a lie. One lie is, if I got married, I'll just stop lusting, and I can have sex whenever I want when I get married. That's obviously not the case. Some people would say that sex is uncontrollable. You just can't control it. you got to fulfill your urges and desires. It's uncontrollable. Well, that's a myth, too. Just like the movies, the myth is, is that sex just happens. It can be on the elevator. It can, it can happen when you get home from work right then and there on the spot. It just happens. Very rarely is that the case. And then here's another lie, and that is my spouse struggles with porn because of me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. So all of these statements aren't true, but our world speaks as if they are. So what does Jesus say about it? What does he say about lust? Well, the first thing we need to notice in this text is that Jesus does not forbid having a natural attraction for the opposite sex. He's not saying that it's wrong to have a natural attraction for the opposite sex. In fact, he's saying, this is my design. I, I've created this to be the case. If you think about in the Garden of Eden, when Adam was there after God had created the world, he gave Adam everything. And into day six, it said everything was good according to God, because he made everything beautiful. And, and Adam was there with, with the animals in the garden, and it was good. But there was something Adam was missing. He was missing Eve, a woman, a suitable helper for him. And so what did God do? But when Adam fell asleep, he, he formed Eve out of a rib of Adam, and woman entered this world. And when Adam saw Eve, it was as if he said, Thank you, Lord. Because he said, here's the grand finale of creation. And notice in Genesis what it says about after Eve was created, everything was very good. It went from being good to very good. So all ladies in the room, hear me. 
And I want you to have a little confidence booster right now when I say, you're the grand finale of creation. Have some confidence about that, right? About yourself. Because really, Adam looked at her and said, whoa, this is great. And he was immediately attracted to her. And so Jesus is not forbidding us to have a natural attraction for the opposite sex. In fact, he created us to be attracted to the opposite sex. Intimacy is a good thing in the eyes of God, especially in the marriage context. That is when it's good and holy and right. Because God created us not only for, uh, for sex, not only for procreation, but also for pleasure. And if you, if you think about it, have you ever considered that humans are the only created beings who receive pleasure through sex? Think about it. Animals mate for procreation and for survival of the species. They do this by instinct and very specific mating rituals. Uh, think about a lion, for example. A lion will, will mate with the lioness when he's in heat and knows it's time. It's not like the lion is lurking around the watering hole waiting for a lioness to pounce on. That's not what he does. There's no pleasure for animals. It's more about just procreating. But yet for humans, for men and women, in the marriage context, it's for our good. It's a gift that God gives us. It's pleasure, pleasure. And so even when you go to Genesis, when it says Genesis 2.24, that man and woman were united together in one flesh and the, and the two will become one, that word united or joined is debak in Hebrew, which means glue, adhesive, sticking together, holding fast, not separating and so in Genesis, when Adam and Eve were together, they united together physically in intimacy, but also spiritually. They became one unit as a team, just as husband and wives do. And so again, the whole purpose of marriage is several reasons. Number one is you need each other. Number two is you help the other person become more like Christ. But number three is sex. It helps. It helps your marriage, and it connects you together. So Sex is a really good thing, and it's a gift from the Lord. In the New Testament, Paul mentions this as well in 1 Corinthians 7. He says these words, Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now to the unmarried and the widow, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control their desires themselves they should marry for it is better to marry than to burn with passion it doesn't get more clear than that but what is Paul saying here about sex he's saying it's a, it's a good thing God has given it for our good it's a gift a blessing from him and by the way when husbands and wives join together they are no longer I but they're we they're no longer me but they're us they're together as one unit one person, essentially, oneness happens when husbands and wives join together in intimacy. 
And what Paul is saying here is, wives, your body belongs to your husbands. And husbands, your body belongs to your wives. And I'll be completely honest with you. I remind my wife of this verse sometimes. I'm like, Stephanie, hey, your body belongs to my, to me, right? My body belongs to you, right? And she's like, rolls her eyes and whatever, you know. So guys, you, I'm going to tell you what not to do a few times in this sermon. You'll be like, oh, okay. And by the way, notice my wife is not here today. Uh, <laughs> there's reasons for it. She's supportive of me doing this, obviously. Uh, but I, I had a military retreat this weekend. We, we spoke at a, a marriage conference, or I did. And I actually topped it. One of the topics was this. Uh, but I didn't want to wake them up at 5.30 and bring them here this morning from Chattanooga. So that's why she's not here. But she did say, it's always awkward when you talk about it. Um, but I bring this up because Paul is saying, our bodies belong to our wives, men, husbands. Wives, your bodies belong to your husbands, right? And so that, that is important for us to understand, and that means we serve one another. We're called to serve one another by giving ourselves up for the other person. But men, don't take advantage of that. Don't take advantage of that. So again, as we look at this, we see that God made sex as a special thing, a gift, but like many good things, they've been corrupted. They've been corrupted for many reasons, Satan, the world, and our own flesh, our own sinful nature. St. Augustine said, everything bad is a corruption of something that was originally meant to be good. When sex is used outside of God's plan, it is sinful. So Jesus did not forbid us being naturally attracted to the opposite sex. But what did he forbid? He forbidded having, or he forbade having a lustful intent. Verse 27 again. Jesus said, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Last week we were talking about how Jesus corrected the rabbis of the day and their misinterpretation of the law. And they were teaching a false uh, tradition and they were talking about, well, you shouldn't just murder. But Jesus said, well, it goes beyond murder. You shouldn't have a negative thought or a harmful thought in your mind about someone. You shouldn't want to kill them in your mind. You shouldn't want to hate them in your mind. In the same way, the Jewish rabbis, they were trying to just <laughs> limit their, their rules by saying, well, you shouldn't commit adultery. But they, they never talked about the 10th commandment of don't covet your neighbor's wife. Because they wanted to be able to get away with that. And so they just said, ah, if you just don't have an affair or don't commit adultery, then you're okay. Then you're okay. It's the behavior that really matters. Jesus is saying, okay, it, it is wrong to have an affair. And it's also wrong to have a lustful intent, a lustful thought. So what is a lustful thought? Webster's Dictionary defines it as an intense or unrestrained sexual craving. Lustful intent is having a sexual desire that is out of control. It is mental adultery. It is thinking in terms of how you can have sex with someone in your mind. It's these wandering eyes. There's a big difference between temptation and mental adultery. A huge difference. A huge difference. In our world today, in our mediated world, media world that we're in, we could watch a Hardee's commercial and all of a sudden a woman who's barely dressed is on there eating a hamburger. And you're just watching a commercial and it pops up and you're thinking, where did that come from? That's random. That could be a temptation moment. The question is, what do you do when that moment happens? Do you keep watching and say, oh, 
Oh, well, yeah, that, that, that woman eating that hamburger is really attractive. Oh, I wonder what would happen if we did that so and so and so. That's where it gets hairy. That's where it gets wrong. And that's what Jesus is getting at. You know, I, I like what Martin Luther said. Martin Luther was known to have struggled with lust. He said, I cannot help it if birds fly around my head, but I can keep them from nesting in my hair. I love that quote. He's saying, I can't help it if there's, there's temptation, sexual temptation that's coming at me and thrown at me, but I can help it if it nests in my hair. Pat Morley, he said it this way, you can't keep someone from knocking on your door, but you can decide whom you invite to come inside. There's a difference between temptation, sexual temptation, and acting out on that and thinking out on that in lust. 2 Samuel 11, we know the story about King David. King David, it says, In the spring of the year, the time when kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, and he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. What's going on here? Many of you know this story. King David was the general of his army. He was supposed to be out fighting a battle with his army, but yet he stayed home and sent Joab, the commander of his army, and he stayed back. We don't know this, but David should have been out fighting. But he must have been restless this evening. So he, it's as if he was going out just kind of restless and, you know, wandering eyes. And he all of a sudden spots Bathsheba. Temptation. Boom, right in front of him. It's there. Does he have the second look and the third look and the fourth look? Yes. Because what did he do? He went from just looking to really looking and observing and watching carefully. And then all of a sudden, one thing led to another. And he calls for her and he sleeps with her. She was already married. They have an affair. And then he tries to cover it up by lies and he ends up having her husband murdered. You know what's interesting about this, about David? This didn't happen when David's 17, 18, 19 years old and his hormones are raging. This happens when he's a grown man, and he's considered a man after God's own heart. He had probably already written several of the psalms and prayers to God. This happened when David was in his A-game spiritually. He was at the top of his game spiritually. He was on fire for the Lord. And here's a man who's on fire for the Lord, and this one moment, <laughs> it really cost him. And he acted out on him, and there were several consequences, like losing a son, and his other sons betrayed him. You name it. Now, the good thing about David is God restored him. He forgave David, and David was still considered a man after God's own heart, but there were many consequences to that. I bring this up because we can all have a David moment. None of us here are immune to having a David moment. We all can have a David moment. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how strong your faith is, you can fall and fall big, just as David did. So be mindful of that. And what we see here with this story of David is that the sex drive is powerful. 
And when lust takes over, it can lead us to do crazy things. I think about the world we're in and how it is so sex-saturated. No longer are the days where you have to hide and go into the adult bookstore and buy things. No longer are the days where you have to spend $15 to to watch an adult film. No longer are the days when you try to see images and the screen is all blurry. No longer those days. You can just get on your phone right now and start looking at whatever you want. Whatever you want. I've heard at UT there are students in the classroom looking at porn while the teacher's teaching. It's everywhere and it happens all the time. And it's so hidden and it's dangerous. It's like liquid nitrogen. It's like fire you're playing with when you're looking at pornography. But it's so easy and so accessible. It's not only happening in our world, it's happening in the church. This year, the Barna Group interviewed thousands of Christians that regularly attended church and they found in their survey that 64% of men are actively looking at pornography in the church. 34% of women, 18 to 30, are actively looking at pornography in the church. This is a huge problem. And it's leading us to sin. Having that lustful intent in our minds as we're looking at pornography. What does pornography do? Just a few things. Pornography affects our brains. Cambridge neuropsychiatrist Valerie Voon Her research revealed that the brains of habitual porn users show great similarity to the brains of alcoholics. William Struthers, a doctor, said that viewing porn will weaken the region of our brains known as the cingulate cortex, which is the region of the brain that is responsible for moral and ethical decision-making and willpower. The more you look at porn, the more your brain will shrink. Your brain begins to shrink, just like an alcoholic. Not only does porn affect our brains, but porn affects our relationships. We know how porn destroys personal lives and marriages. There was a a report done to Congress by a woman by the name of Dr. Jill Manning. She reported in her research of thousands of couples who got divorced that 56% of divorce cases were as a, a result of one of the spouse addicted to pornography. 56%. Women get very insecure and they feel depressed like they're not pretty enough and they feel betrayed. And many people who discover their spouse has been hiding a porn addiction experience symptoms that meet the requirement of PTSD. Trauma can set in. Porn not only affects relationships, it can affect your finances. You may have heard of a guy named Lamar Odom. Lamar Odom is a two-time NBA champion. He also was a contestant on Dancing with the Stars and he was on the show... Keeping up with the Kardashians, if you've ever seen that. I've never seen it, but anyway. Lamar Odom was a celebrity, right? He just opened up a few years ago about his pornography addiction. He said he would miss basketball practices or he would be late to practice just to get in one more site to see or video to watch. He was fined every time he was late $5,000. He said the $5,000 kept adding up and I was owing my team thousands of dollars because I was so addicted. He ended up sleeping with over 2,000 people. But you know what? The Lord grabbed a hold of his heart. He said, God changed me. And I realized that the more I could look at this stuff, the deeper I could get into it. And I would begin to try to seek out more explicit things. And I was told, I never got into this, but I was told that pornography is the gateway to sex trafficking. 
He said, when I found that out, I was done. And you know what Lamar Odom did? He not only said, I love the Lord, but he said, I now have an accountability partner who looks at every site I go to, and I have a software called Covenant Eyes where he can see everything I see. He says, I want to get rid of this stuff. He said, sexual addiction is, was harder. He was a drug addict, too. He said, sexual addiction was harder to break than cocaine. So it can actually affect your finances. Nate Larkin, a pastor and men's ministry speaker today, he spent thousands of dollars hiring prostitutes and looking at sites and videos. The fourth thing that porn can do is it can lead, as I mentioned, to viewing more explicit things and doing more corrupt things. There's a, a movie out there called 10 Seconds, and it, 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 it makes the connection between pornography and sex trafficking. No wonder we have a rise of sex trafficking. On my way from Chattanooga to here today, I had an Amber Alert. Why is the LGBT community growing so rapidly? I'm, I know there's many reasons. I'm not saying this is the only reason. There's many reasons why it's growing, but one reason is pornography. Pornography. So again, <laughs> pornography is a major problem in our churches and in our world because it's so easily accessible. Lust is a radical problem in our church and in our world. It's always been since the fall and it always will be until Jesus returns. And so what does a radical problem require? A radical problem requires a radical solution. And that's what Jesus gets at here when he says in verse 29, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it's better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. What is Jesus saying at here? He's saying this is a radical problem and it requires radical obedience. A radical solution. A radical change of life. He's not literally saying you got to pluck out your eye. And by the way, there have been people in history that took this literally. Origen from Alexandria, one of our church fathers, he physically emasculated himself because of this verse. And right after that, they made it illegal to do that. But Origen didn't pluck out his eye. He still saw things he didn't want or need to see. Jesus is not saying you physically need to pluck out your eyeball. However, what is he saying here? <laughs> I like what John Stott said about this. Uh, he, John Stott said, as you take out, it's, it, instead of taking out your eye, he said, it's as if you take out your eye. He says, you radically change your life. And instead of cutting off a foot, he's saying, it's as if you cut off a foot. It takes a radical change. One theologian said, it's better to limp into heaven than to leap into hell. I thought that was a good point. But what, what's happening here is Jesus is saying, okay, if you're struggling with lust, you need to do something radically. You may have seen the movie Fireproof. It's, it's an older movie about marriage and how the husband is struggling with, with uh, pornography and other, other issues. And the wife is just feeling distant from her husband. And she ends up getting romanced by another man. And she almost has an affair. And it's just a mess. But there's a scene where Kirk Cameron is, is looking at his computer and there's the pop-up. We don't have pop-ups really happen anymore, but there's a pop-up that he's about to hit, up, hit. 
And then all of a sudden, he begins to reflect upon his spiritual life, and he begins to remember some of the Bible verses that he learned as a kid. And, and he said, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to radically change this addiction that I have to pornography. So he literally rips out his desktop uh, from the outlet, and he takes it outside, he gets a baseball bat, and he just starts hammering out it and destroys his computer. That's radical. And you might say, well, I can't get rid of my phone. Okay, Sure. It'll be hard to get rid of your phone. And anytime your phone is taken away, and I know this is especially true for teenagers, this is like you're, leaving, you're losing an organ. <laughs> but you got to have boundaries with your phone. Set boundaries with your phone. Radically obey in the sense of saying, this phone is a temptation because I can look anytime at anything, whatever I want. I need to set it aside when I'm home or when I go to bed and get a Buy an alarm clock instead of use your phone alarm clock if it's that tempting. And put your phone in another room. It requires radical obedience. That's what Jesus is getting at here. He's not saying literally take out your eye. He's saying radically obey. So there's four things I want to kind of challenge us to think about when it comes to this topic. Number one, we need to look deeper into the problem. If you're struggling with lust and having sexual thoughts, or looking at pornography. The question is, is why? Why? We get so fixated on the what, and we feel so guilty and shameful when we, we act out. But the bigger and deeper question is why? Why are you acting out? What's going on deeper? Yeah, the action is wrong, but what's going on deeper? It's like the, the analogy of an iceberg. The top of the iceberg you can see, and that's the that's, the, that's the, the sin we make, but what's deeper below the water? The sin beneath the sin is what some theologians call it. It might be this, that you want comfort and you aren't getting comfort from the Lord or from your spouse or from a friend. It might be that you want control in your life and you feel like your life is out of control and so this is why you, you engage in this. Another, another one might be because you want significance. You feel like you're not significant, and this helps you feel powerful and significant. What is it? Why are you acting out? Why are you having these lustful thoughts? Dig deeper. The second thing we need to do is we need to begin the conversation. I'm sure my, my face could turn red talking about this. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I don't like always talking about, I don't, I don't like talking about this, but it's necessary and it's important. Sex is important to God and it should be important to us. And we don't need to allow the cultural influences of our day in the media to drive the conversation. The church needs to drive the conversation. And so we need to be in the church at the forefront of this conversation in a healthy way and not be ashamed of it. Or say, this is awkward to talk about, but instead we've got to begin the conversation. So here's where I want to start, beginning the conversation. Women in the room, just want you to understand that your husband or that the men in this room are not sex-craved maniacs. We're not. We have testosterone levels that are out the roof. If you look at medical news today, there was an article saying that the average man testosterone level is between 19 and up is between 265 and 923. The average female is between 15 and 70. This is in nanograms per deciliter. You can see the vast difference between the male makeup and the female makeup. 
Every now and then, the female has a stronger sex drive than the male. I've seen it. It does happen, but it's very rare. Most of the time, men have the stronger sex drive than women. So we're not crazy for desiring sex. We're not crazy for thinking about it or wanting it in the proper way. We have hormones that are raging at times. And I think women need to really understand that. And maybe you do. But I think it will help you understand that we're not crazy. We're not maniacs. This is part of our makeup. One old man said in his 80s, he said, My three greatest temptations are money, pride, and bikinis. <laughs> lust, can, lust is a struggle for all men. And it's a big deal. For, sex is a big deal for your husband, wives in the room. I'm going to talk about singles in a minute. And like I said, the husband is usually the one with the higher sex drive than the wife. That's not always the case. I've seen it the other way around, but most of the time it's the case. Dr. John Van Epp, he said, there are six things to consider, or five things to consider about this. First is both husband and wife, especially the one with the lower sex drive, needs to initiate sometimes. If you find yourself, particularly women most of the time, having the lower sex drive, sex drive, you need to initiate sometimes. Because if it's always the other person, it can get discouraging for the other person. Both, especially the person with the higher sex drive, needs to not always be looking for the green light. There are times, and I'll be honest, where I'll say, Stephanie, do I have the green light? And she's like, no. Or she'll say, okay. you know. <laughs> but don't always do that. I've learned don't do that. Don't abuse that too much, right? Don't always be looking for the green light. Both, especially the one with lower drives, needs, to, needs acceptable times to say no. So the person with the higher drive, you're going to be the one initiating most. But if the person says no, honor that. Be respectful. Okay. Don't be pushy. Both, especially the higher drive person, needs to find acceptable ways to initiate. Acceptable that are respectful and appropriate, not inappropriate and harmful. And here's what 1 Corinthians 7 talked about. If either partner frequently resists and says no, then the reason should be understood. So if you're the one that usually says no, I would encourage you, don't always say no. Because the more you say no, the more distant your spouse will become and the more insecure and frustrated they'll become. I'm not saying just do it out of duty, right? But I'm saying understand the struggle. Understand the struggle. Now, there might be other reasons why a spouse is saying no. It could be unresolved conflict. It could be resentment. It could be feelings of rejection. It could even be a medical condition. But if you find your spouse as the one saying no a lot, try to understand. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. It took us our second year of marriage to start talking about it because it's awkward. But as we started talking about it, it was helpful because we, I was able to understand her. She was able to understand me. So husband and wife talk to each other about it. As uncomfortable as it is, it's so important. Husbands in the room, you need to understand your wife's body makeup is a lot different than yours. It's obvious. You probably heard the analogy, men are like microwaves, women are like ovens. Men in seconds are ready, heated up, ready to go. Wives, it takes a lot longer. I heard one stat that it, it takes women 14 minutes on average. There has been a time where I looked at my watch and said, Stephanie, 14 minutes, we ready? 
And she was like, are you serious? Slap me in the face. You know, don't do that, guys. Again, I'm telling you, don't do this, right? Right? But you got to know that about your wife. And the thing that's important about her is romance. And romance doesn't just mean physical intimacy. Romance encompasses that of emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and physical intimacy. One older man told me, you know, Seth, sex started for us at 7 a.m. And I said, what? And he said, no, 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 we actually didn't have sex at 7 a.m., but we started, you know, speaking nicely to each other. We were listening to each other. We would send text messages and, email, or text messages and call each other throughout the day. I made, her, I made her dinner. I cleaned the house for her. You know, I, I, I wooed her. I, I pursued her. I, I, I enticed her. You know, I listen to her because I love her. She's my best friend. And men, if you do those kind of things, I'm telling you, your wife won't keep her hands off you. But that goes back to Ephesians 5. We're called to serve our wives and understand their differences. And even though our bodies are different from one another, we're, we need to be reminded that we are called to serve the other person and not to be served. So let's talk for a moment about those who are really struggling with not only pornography, but also with lust, particularly the singles. Set up guardrails. Set up guardrails. You need guard, You know what guardrails do, right? They keep you in bounds. And there are many guardrails you can set up to help prevent you from having lustful thoughts. One is covenant eyes. Covenant eyes is a wonderful software. You know what? This week... I asked my best friend from high school, I said, I, need, I, I want covenant eyes because I don't want a David moment. I'm not looking at porn, but I don't want to be tempted to look at porn. So one way to help me from having a David moment is for you to see every site that I go to. And he said, I'd be honored. Men especially, but women in the room, get covenant eyes. It's a great accountability software, but don't, don't have your wife be your accountability partner. Men, have another man be your accountability partner. Women, have another woman be your accountability partner. But software, there's great software to help block these sites. I would also encourage you, don't be alone with someone of the opposite sex to put you in a compromising situation. When I first became senior pastor, I had a door with no window on it, and we had a door at the kitchen, and I said, Andy, day one, we gotta move that door and put it in my office. I'm called to meet with men and women, and I counsel men and women. But I do that for their safety and my safety, right? And I do it during the daytime. Billy Graham said he never got on an elevator alone with a woman. I mean, that, you might see that as extreme. But again, Jesus sometimes requires extreme measures to put in place. Job 31.1 said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. So set up guardrails and make that covenant before the Lord saying, I want to radically obey you because this is a radical problem in my life. The third thing I would say, stay active. I have a Catholic priest friend, and I asked him, who's in the military, I said, he's a chaplain, I said, can you tell me why you don't get married? And we were talking biblically about it, and we just disagreed with it, but okay. And then I said, but, but on the other side of things, like, are you attracted to the opposite sex? I mean, have you ever wanted to be married? He said, oh yeah, there was a time where I almost left the priesthood because I fell in love with a woman, but I couldn't, couldn't act on it. He said, we had to, you know, we had to basically cut off our, our ties of friendship because it was tempting me too much to get married. But he said, you know what I do to help myself as I work out at night? At 10 o'clock at night, I go and I lift weights and I run. 
I'm not telling you guys to, to do that and wear yourself out, but I'm telling you a lot of times in the evening, that's when, just like David, that's the time where you're tempted the most. Try to set up guardrails, keep yourself active, take care of yourself physically so that you watch where your eyes and mind wander. And the fourth and most important is to pursue Jesus Christ. Whenever we confess a sin, we confess it and put it on the cross of Jesus, knowing that we're loved by him and we're forgiven by him. And then we are called to turn to him and pursue him. G.K. Chesterton, he said this, every man who knocks on the door of a brothel is looking for God. Again, as you're looking at those sights, as you're having those lustful thoughts, why? What are you looking for? What are you looking for? What do you want? I'm telling you, the answer is Jesus. He's it. He's the only one who will satisfy your longings and your needs and your desires. And if you give your life to Jesus and surrender your life to him, your life will be completely changed. Completely changed. And then you'll realize, I have purpose now. Because I'm living for someone greater than myself who loves me so much that he died for my porn addiction or he died for my lustful intent. He died for it and he loves me so much and he wants better for me. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna remove this barrier in my life and I'm gonna replace it with Jesus Christ. So give your life to Jesus because he offers you streams of living water. He offers you hope and he offers you peace in this world and in heaven when you die. 